BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Incomparable, number 642, November 2022. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and in this episode, we're going to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a perfect uh, Thanksgiving weekend holiday fair, the holiday season. We're going to kick it off right. We're going to put you in the mood. We're going to get you ready. Um, It's 1990s Goodfellas, directed by Martin Scorsese, uh, a film about gangsters. And uh, and it is one of my personal favorites. Also, I decided to do this uh, in honor of Ray Liotta, who passed away earlier this year, because uh, this is his movie, and he's great in it. Uh, joining me to talk about Martin Scorsese's excellent Goodfellas are uh, these following wonderful people. Excellent people, in fact. Monty Ashley is here. Hello. Uh, hi. Uh, 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 another few minutes, I could be a stool. You You can't be a made man because both of your parents aren't Sicilian. Uh, Philip Michaels also joins me. Hi, Phil. They call me Philip two times because that's how many times I'm booked on this podcast. <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. Oh, uh, <laughs> you also cannot be a made man because your no. parents are not Sicilian. No. John Syracuse, can you be a made man? I think they just said that you're, they had to be able to yeah, trace both your parents back, back to, to the, the old country. country. Yeah. Which means Italy, in which case, yes, I can be a made mm. man. Well, I would I would recommend you not fly off the handle and kill Billy Bats then. <laughs> yeah, that would really uh that would really mess up that deal. Uh yeah, you don't want to you don't want to do that. I don't I don't even know like oftentimes I will walk through a movie and we could do that. There's so many great scenes in here or we could just talk about like all the elements to this thing because I I, no, I'll, I'm going to start with my traditional thing, which is tell me about your personal relationship to the movie, uh, just to get us warmed up here. Um, I I saw it in college and loved it, and I have the poster, and I got the soundtrack, and there I I I think about why I liked it so much, and in watching it again for the first time in a few years, I have some theories about that that I'll save to later, but I just I I have loved this movie since it came out, uh, and and that's my whole uh, history with it. Monty, what about you? Uh, I also saw it in college. I also loved it. Uh, I had the DVD, which was a very early DVD. It was a flipper, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You had to flip it over (laughs) in the middle of the movie. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when in the movie you had to flip it? No. I don't either. I also had the flipper and I don't remember it either. And I I, I keep expecting it'll be like that tape that I had, that mixtape that I had where the last song runs out in the middle. And every time I hear that song, I get to that moment and I'm surprised that the song continues, but I don't have that with Goodfellas. So it must've been a perfectly reasonable moment for the, uh, for the flipper to flip. Yeah. I remember it being annoying, yes. but I always did get up and wouldn't watch the it, second wouldn't half Wouldn't it have been movie. hilarious if it was the moment where they killed Joe Pesci? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, please flip the DVD. Yeah. Over to the other side. <laughs> Phil, you, you, uh, you went to the same college as me and Monty. Is your story yes. similar? 
Yes. You know what, Jason? I saw it in college when it came out. <laughs> I saw I, I saw it the opening weekend it came out. There was no um I I I fancied myself a bit of a Martin Scorsese fan mm. at the time and mm-hmm. I continue to be. And so Martin Scorsese has a gangster movie coming out. Let me knock people out of the way on on my way to that terrible um movie theater at the at the um at the the bad shopping center, the one on La Jolla the, Village it, Drive, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. the La Jolla Village Drive, I think, is where I saw yep. it. Um, that's what we're here to talk about today. Is yes. that 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 shopping center? No, Ralph's, no, no. Actually, it was at UT- save on. Oh, was it, it at was UTC? At, okay, it was right. at UTC because totally I I was I was new in town um, on camp, and I went. And I went the wrong direction coming back home and ended up in Miramar. I'm going to so, turn. Uh, I'm going to turn off that segment that I was prepared to do, where I, I reminisced about various shops at the shopping center next to UC San Diego. We're not going to well, do that today. Okay, John Syracuse. Are we going to reminisce about UTC instead? It had a nice yes. rink. It it did. John Syracuse. Uh, how about how about you? What's your relationship with this movie? I'm the youngster in this podcast. Mm. Uh, I saw it when it came out, and I was in high school, not oh. college. Mm. Yeah, because I had, hadn't yet graduated. I graduated in a couple of years. Um, and yeah, I think, I think when I saw it, by the time I saw it, I think I had seen, I think I'd seen like Mean Streets, Taxi Driver and Raging Bull as kind of like more my Scorsese, uh, repertoire or whatever. So I was, I was inclined to like him, but I'd also obviously seen the Godfather films and I really love those. Uh, and this, you know, advertised as a gangster movie and Martin Scorsese. It's like, you've got my attention. Sure. Um, but I'm like, well, it's not going to be as good as the Godfather movies. Like, I mean, how could it be? Let's not have your expectations get up to it. And I, I think when I saw this, I think this is the viewing of this in the theater is probably, I mean, it helps that I was in high school, but the most impressed I will ever be probably with how good somebody is at making movies. Mm. <laughs> you watch it, you're like, wow, this guy is really good <laughs> in making movies, which is kind of a, a thing a child would think because you get older and cynical and you've seen it all. But also watching it again and watching it all these years later, I had it on VHS, I had it on DVD, I've got it on Blu-ray. This guy's really good at making movies. He really is. He, to me, he was the director of After Hours and uh, The Last Temptation of Christ, of course. Ah, yes. Actually true. <laughs> not all, a, actually as all, true. As all high school students know him And as Mean the, Streets. The, Those are the three yeah. Scorsese movies I think I had seen when I saw this. Um, yeah, he's really good. In fact, I was thinking, I don't know why I have this impression of Martin Scorsese, because I know better. But like, I always felt artistically, it was like he was, a, he was like a, a, an artistic film director uh and he like the kind of guy who would be like oh not not with your i mean now people just go to him and ask him about marvel movies just to be dumb but back in the day i'd be <laughs> I, i'd be like oh martin scorsese he's a very serious filmmaker so it's like you know going to be you know very serious and classical music and all everything's gonna be classy and it's like i have to remind myself not only did he do the last waltz right so it's like martin scorsese for a for a little Italian man with glasses, he is rock and roll, man. Like this movie, the style in this movie, the use of the soundtrack, which has classic music from the 40s and 50s and also rock music period pieces, it and his style, all the style flourishes, the attitude, the the comedy that's mixed with the pathos, like it is to John's point, uh, it was when I saw it in 1990, and it is to this day breathtaking about the pure skill and style that Martin Scorsese has as a filmmaker. It's amazing. I, I think, Jason, the reason you you thought that about Martin Scorsese is because he's often uh, grouped in with your Spielberg, Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Brian De Palma 
uh, all the the film school guys. Yeah. And um, didn't they have uh, a name? It was like the Brat Pack of the film. Didn't yeah, they have like a name like the Brat Pack? What was it? Something like that. The, I, I can't the pack. The, uh, but the Sp- Spiel- Spielberg the and New Hollywood. Yeah, Spielberg and Lucas made the the commercial films, and and Coppola made the the prestige films at, at the time. <laughs> yeah. And Brian and Brian De Palma was the Hitchcock ripoff guy, but Mar- Martin Scorsese <laughs> was the guy who had to make Alice doesn't live here anymore to prove that he could actually make commercial movies people wanted to see yeah I and mean, spe- speaking of the the music that's the other overriding thing about this movie is like yes he's very good at making movies and this movie is phenomenal and amazing in just every possible aspect um but also i as a as a kid of the mtv generation i, I grew up uh, when mtv debuted and i remember when it first came on the air it was a big thing at the babysitter that i went to <laughs> yeah uh, i was gonna say so at, so do we john but school. our references are a little bit later than yours <laughs> clearly I know, but i was so i was only a couple of years two or three i know it makes a big difference when you're you know eight versus 11 or whatever right. but yeah, I, I grew up on MTV. Uh, I love the the concept of music video. In fact, I'm probably going to put something on my uh, blog about it in the near future. I love music videos. I like the combination of, you know, video, television, movie with music, with the music being an important and dominant part of it. Is it because I grew up watching MTV or did I love MTV because I love music videos? I don't know. But this movie is very much a series of music videos <laughs> in a way yeah. that not a lot of movies are. And a lot of people say that, you know, like, hey, you know, Star Wars or Indiana Jones, you know, to give Lucas and Spielberg type things of like, the music is so important in them, or even Spielberg with Jaws. But so many parts of this, music videos is the, the one reference. And the second is uh, the concept of a montage. How many movies mm. do we know where there are beloved sections of them that are montages. Even if you pick a movie that most people didn't like, like the beginning of Watchmen with the times they are changing or whatever song they use for that opening montage. That's it. Even people who even people who hate that movie like the montage because it is essentially a music video. And this movie is like, what if you were skilled enough to make an entire movie as satisfying as the best montages from other movies that you've seen? And I think he pulls it off so much so that when the music actually stops playing, it is an incredibly dramatic, you know, moment. What's so funny about me? You know what I mean? Like that becomes a tool of the director because this, the whole rest of the movie is essentially series of the most amazing music videos you've ever seen blended with dialogue, blended with cinematography, blended with the story. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah, I the um Then He Kissed Me by the Crystals is that uh long shot entering the Copacabana from mm-hmm. through the kitchen. And the last, of course, that last segment where with that's got the uh the jump ha- into the fire and uh yeah that yeah that whole with, with where yeah jump into the fire keeps coming back and then there's all the other things monkey man is in there magic bus is in there where it's the may 11th 1980 and the paranoia with the helicopter and oh so much cocaine and yes. that is a that is like a playlist that is a music video of that moment and the movie is essentially it, i mean it's unscored the score is the mm-hmm. three dozen songs from throughout the 20th century that Martin Scorsese is using um, to I- elaborate everything that's going on in the to in guide the, film. the whole movie because it's kind of like you know, like in Magnolia where the Amy Mann songs like are the backbone of that movie. It's not like that music is on in the background or like is just there to set a mood. Like it drives the entire, it drives everything about it. It drives the cuts, it drives the scenes, it, it drives when people are allowed to talk because they put the music so far forward in the mix that they have to sort of 
you know, in, you know, interleave and integrate the dialogue to let the dialogue, they duck music for a second so you can hear a line and then the music comes back. It is just so dominant and, you know, moves the entire movie along. The thing that always impressed me, and, and the, the music is great, um, is it uses, it's the most effective use of voiceover ever in mm. a movie. Because mm-hmm. yes. voiceover is, is, is generally regarded as the, 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 the narrative crutch uh, of, of storytelling. Um, <laughs> Tell, don't show. Yeah, yeah. But you cannot really imagine this movie without without a voice it's the opposite of blade runner where they had to put in the voiceover because this this movie makes no 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 goddamn sense so but if you took out the voiceover i think i i am not sure it would be as uh, as effective or affecting a movie as uh, as goodfellas turned out to be yeah and he's not narrating what's going on on the screen like at no. all it's 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 as if you know that's a, the the interleaving of these things like i think at, at one point uh, one of my favorite parts is um, you've got the music and you've got, uh, the dad walking in to say, so you have a good day at school today. Learned a lot. Right. And the voiceover going all at the same time and yeah. the video. So you've got, you've got all three of those things happening simultaneously. And the voice is not telling you what's happening in the movie scene or describing, Hey, this one day, this thing happened to me. The voice is just opining about childhood and sometimes you have to take a beating and then the song is playing and then the dad is interleaving between the song and the voiceover but still so you can hear what he's saying as he menacingly walks forward and asks the kid if he had a good day at school today and you know and then of course the freeze frame stuff with him with the belt in the air it's just the degree of difficulty of everything that is done in this movie is so high it's like not only do you have to have mastered the basics, but to even dare to try to do what is done in this movie is so ill-advised for almost anybody else. It should it should have been a disaster. And then, oh, and by the way, we're going to have a voiceover through most of the movie. It's just like if you if you took the list of things this movie does and gave them as directions to somebody, you would make the worst movie ever. It's phenomenal. This movie came out as well as it did. Watching it this most recent time, the thing that made me sit up and go, oh, I love cinema so much, is right at the end when suddenly Ray Liotta is talking to the camera instead of doing the voiceover. It's like he's finishing his narration, right? (laughs) In that moment. Yeah, I mean, and I I always thought of it as like Martin Scorsese saying, you've seen what I've done in the rest of this movie. You've seen what I'm I'm doing with the music, with the cinematography, with, with, with the shots, with the camera motion, with the dialogue. You've seen all that. Guess what? There's nothing I can't do. Yeah. Break the fourth wall? Yeah. Don't you think that would destroy my movie? No, it'll be so seamless. You will accept it so willingly, even though I've never done it for the rest of this movie and will not do it again, really, until the very end. You will just accept it because I have you 100%. And it will not It will not fear jarring. It will feel as natural as every other thing I did in this movie. And it is just such a show-off move, such a, like, I have you and you know it. There is literally nothing I can't do at this moment. And it, it does. It works. Yeah, it works. Yeah, wait. it's it's breathtaking because it's that moment where you're like, oh wait, he's talking to me, and and like he's in the courtroom. He's literally been acting and is in the courtroom, and the actors are all still there, and he's mm-hmm. now talking to us as the camera pulls back. And it is this moment of like, we you've been listening to me tell this story all along, and here I am at the end of the movie, yeah, and it's all and it's all over. Like it's timed perfectly mm-hmm. with the script and the story. Like every like there's no part of this movie that is not pulling its weight because th- that moment has to come then because then he's like. Eh, and it was all over, right? Like, and that is the you know the cap on the top of uh, the whole story. Now, I'm glad Phil mentioned the narration. I was going to come to that next because I think the music and the narration really do go together. I wanted to. I had a couple notes here about first off about Ray Liotta's narration as Henry Hill. 
um, from the beginning in terms of the writing, the writing here is so good in defining his voice. The screenplay was Martin Scorsese and Nick Pileggi who wrote the the book that it's based on. And, and like from the moment with like, I always wanted to be a gangster. It is, the voice is so clear that you, you are, you know who Henry Hill is, you get it. And then, and yet the movie is happy to undercut it. Right. Because it's like, Hey, there's a, there's a guy in a, in the trunk and he isn't dead yet. So we're going to have to stab him a bunch of times and shoot him. Oh man. I always wanted to be a gangster. Right. Like it is this eyes open, like, you know, and I want to talk about the lack the lack of romanticism of of gangsters in this movie too. But like, I love that we are we are listening to him and we get an idea of who he is. And the other part of this that I had forgotten, I, I wasn't really thinking about it when I watched it because it's been a few years that I laughed out loud when it happens is I had forgotten the moment where Karen takes over the narration mm-hmm. Lorraine Bracco that's, that's, yeah. another, that's another yeah. great moment of showing that he's you know I can do anything here like and, I've been he's been narrating this whole movie for like an hour guess what I'm gonna change narrators so he's and not the not only narrator beat. Mm-hmm. that happens in the book I've read the book a couple of times yeah and they, they alternate between uh, uh Karen and Henry as the narrators of the book yeah but the movie like keeps you in Henry's point of view so rigorously that it really comes out out of nowhere with like oh yeah Here's, well, that, that's my Lorraine Bracco. It's, it's very good. It's the yeah. it's the well. It's they like meet. She's here on the podcast with us. Hello, Lorraine. <laughs> they meet, and it's it is sort of the movie saying like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's the one, right? Like <laughs> this mm. is because she gets to narrate too. So she's in the in this with him. But it is it is just such a moment, and we keep coming back to it. And it and it's like I, I I'm sorry to to mention this because it's a much lesser work of art, and yet in some ways I was thinking about how it's similar. Is Phil and I do a podcast about Magnum PI, and there's some episodes of Magnum PI because he does a, a, a voiceover of Magnum PI. Watching this, no, it's all related to Magnum PI. No, but there's a, there are a couple episodes that tickle me because he always does voiceovers on that show, and then occasionally a character comes along and steals the voiceovers, and mm-hmm. it makes me laugh because it's like, oh, show <laughs> you you set me up, and now you're gonna subvert my expectations. And this movie, when Karen comes in, you're like. Oh no! What what just happened? And uh, and then we get Karen's perspective, and that happens throughout too. It's it's great. And Lorraine Bracco, uh, you know, Monty uh, really pretty much nailed it there with his impression of Lorraine Bracco. So what more can we say about that? Now the narration is great. It's not the movie that we're here to talk about, but um, since we're talking about tricks that uh, Martin Scorsese plays with uh, narration. Casino also uses voiceover, not as effectively, has multiple people who just take the their narration over from each other. And the best trick in that is um, uh, Joe Pesci is doing the narration just as he's murdered. <laughs> and the narration stops. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I was telling them I'm not going to get tricked. Oh! Yep. <laughs> as he's hit on the head with a bat. So there I am lying in a ditch in a cornfield, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, spoiler alert for Casino if you haven't seen that in the last 30 years. Yeah, he gets it. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. 
be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Oh my God, there's so much here. So the, the story structure. So we begin with that moment where they are taking um, Billy Bats out to the to to the uh, upstate to bear to bury him. I believe in the book it's actually like on a on like a it's like a dog. It's like an animal preserve or something like that. That like people. Uh, but anyway, it doesn't matter. He's literally they took him to a farm upstate, yeah, and we don't know who he is at that point. But like you said, no. that scene serves as the opening movie. That, that I think that is an important stage setting scene because I think the movie it's important for the movie to communicate that it's not going to be the Godfather. Yes, like, the very the whole point of the very first scene is that it's not as romanticized as you think the gangster life is. This is not that movie, uh, it, it even is, though the voiceover it is, is messy saying, and smelly. Yeah. <laughs> It, like sometimes you just got to go to the trunk and restab the guy who you thought was dead, and and it's not important that you know who he is. And, and the magic of this movie is that at least the first time I watch it, I remember you know that scene, getting the message of that scene. Then the movie goes and it sucks you in. And by the time they loop back around to that, it's like, oh, I've forgotten about oh, the guy in the trunk because it's mm-hmm. the opening scene of the movie, and you've never seen it before. Yeah. So you're just like, you know, the movie just sweeps you up into it, and then you resync with that. And it's amazing. And you get the um the the by by backing up. Uh, and setting the the stage about how this is not glamorous. It's actually, I think, so brilliantly done in that Ray Liotta's narration and the music and Rags to Riches by Tony Bennett and the and this like haze. It's like happy days for gangsters, right? It's like it's the fifties and Paul Servino doesn't doesn't uh, have a phone in his house and only talks to one person at a time. And I got money and people carried mom's groceries out of respect. And Hey, you look, you know, you look like a gangster. And, and even was, I forget what, what song it is, but the big swell of music when the guy's coming down the street saying they shot me and he's bleeding all over the place. Like even when they, they cut back to the, Hey, even when he's a kid and he's helping out it. Yeah. It's great that he gets to park people's Cadillacs, but also occasionally a guy, a guy stumbles along with blood all over him and he gets yelled at for using too many aprons. Right. Yeah. And that's like or an opera. To, or you have to blow up some uh, Cadillacs too. Well, that's part of the fun part, I think. Yeah. But, uh, and so that, that is, I, I love that the movie starts with the ugliness so that when we get Henry Hills, like, this is why I wanted to become a gay, right? It's right in that first line, right? It's like something mm-hmm. terrible just happened. He's like, I always wanted to be a gangster. And it's like, he's starting his story from the beginning where it's romantic, except we, mm-hmm. we, we are not there. We are in 1970 and it is not romantic. And, and it just, it is a perfect sort of scene setting for what I think is. And I, I would love to hear what you all think about this. What I think is one of this movie's greatest strengths, which is the God, Father, a movie that I love, a movie that is deservedly beloved as one of the great movies of all time. But The Godfather is a very romantic uh, kind of movie about yeah, the absolutely. people at the top well, I mean, level. The, the of- Godfather. I feel like The Godfather is it is it is self serious in a way. This movie isn't a little bit, but st- especially when you combine it with The Godfather Part Two, we're not going to talk about Part Three. Um, that mm-hmm. I, I always hold up the Godfather movies as. Although it is, it glamorizes the gangster life and as showing them as you know as the good guys, the Corleone family with ideals, and they're conquering the people who are trying to kill them, and so you're rooting for them and not really concentrating too much about how they're actually organized crime is bad and everything like that. Uh, but really, the movie Part One and Part Two combined are essentially a story of how someone trying to do the right thing 
at making individual decisions, each of which seems like the morally and ethically best choice in the given situation, the accumulation of those decisions can leave you in the place where Michael is at the end of Godfather it's still, Part it's Two. It's still a bad business. I I, I agree with right, all well, that. But I was but saying like it, it's it is a tragedy. It is showing hey you've been rooting for this guy and he's been trying to do the right things, but look where he ended up. It is not. It doesn't have a happy ending. It is a tragedy, but it is it is a tragedy like a Shakespearean tragedy is a tragedy about kings and rulers and people at the top. And what I think I love about Goodfellas perhaps the most is that it's right in the name, right? Like it's not about the kings. It's not about right. the top it's, level it's, people. It's about people the couldn't low even be made. level and the dirtiest jobs and the crappy jobs and the things they're doing on the side to make money that are not really part of the 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 big organization that's got like everything wired up. They're just kind of like doing little yeah, doing little dirty work underneath, and every, and it is dirty work, and and it is so it's not directly opposed to The Godfather, but it is shaded in a way because you're like, well, do we need more mob movies? I think is a question after The Godfather that everybody could ask, and then you see Goodfellas, and you're like, oh, well, we needed at least one more. Yeah, because I mean, because Joe Pesci is the only guy who could even get made. Our other two main characters can't be. Right. And so they're they're not only are they are they like the underlings, they're never going to rot like they're not going to ever be the boss or anything close to the boss. And they know it. The other um, uh, thing, Jason, that is great about the uh, the opening uh, dialogue is it establishes Henry Hill as the most unreliable narrator. Um, <laughs> take take nothing. This guy says at face value. Um, and it's interesting reading interviews with Scorsese where he talks about this movie. He has absolute contempt for that character. He hates that yeah. character very much. And, um, it, 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 you very much see the, um, part of Martin Scorsese that was going to be a priest, uh, coming through in this. Hmm. This is his homily. And it's all, let me tell you about a young boy I used to know. No good. Nick. And <laughs> yeah. this is what, what happened to him. At one point in the book. Uh, Henry Hill, it's late and he's been arrested and he's like, okay, let me tell you everything I've done so I can get out of going to jail. And one of the things he did was uh, point shaving on Boston College basketball games. Yes. And the FBI agent who went to Boston College almost goes over the table after him. <laughs> <laughs> and the, in fact, that FBI agent is uh, plays the, the, the prosecutor in the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. He speaks... Speaking of the FBI, that's another, you know, this this movie is so well constructed with the voiceover at the beginning where yeah he's talking about stuff or whatever. It's very early on, and I, I noted this when I was taking notes watching this again, very early on, uh, Henry brings up the FBI. Oh, that's the thing the FBI could never understand. It's mm-hmm. small, it's subtle, and but if you, but if you don't know where this movie is going, why is he mentioning the FBI in the first five minutes? That will probably be important later. Like you get a hint at where he's narrating from because, like you said, the narration is saying one thing, and then we're seeing something different on the mm-hmm. screen. So, who is the Henry Hill that is narrating this? As we learn later, is the, is the Henry Hill who is in witness protection for the FBI? You know, but that's that like lays the groundwork for you thinking, oh, I guess the FBI is going to come into this. And again, the movie like yanks you on this journey that you'll forget all about that until later the fbi starts to appear and you're like oh yeah yeah 
I, I feel like the movie does a pretty good job, too, of every time you think you might start to be rooting for Henry Hill, it undercuts him in another way. And I'm sure there are people out there who just ignore that and still like him. But like it tries very hard at all the points to undercut him. You get that moment where you're like, oh, look, Lorraine Bracco. She's great. And it's like immediately, uh, you know, but Friday nights were for wives. Saturday nights were for girlfriends. And it's like, boom, we've undercut him right yeah. there. And then and then later, you know, it, later it happens. It, it happens again and again until. Until you get to the point where uh, at the very end, you know, not only has he done all these horrible things, but then he's done the horrible thing of of his his act of of putting the bad guys behind bars is itself a complete betrayal of everything that he stood for up to that point. Like there's nowhere that's good. It's here. not a heroic act, even though it is like no. the right thing to do. It is not a heroic act. Like I, One of the things this movie does very well, which I think is I don't know what it was like in the book at all, but it, it makes it very clear what henry's primary skill is and like and it's almost as if like the viewer knows it but no one else who none of his like co-workers or friends or whatever understand like you know what is he good at he's not a tough guy who's good at beating people up he's not a criminal mastermind he's not particularly smart his his role within the organization is to figure out how to emotionally and politically navigate the other nut jobs that he works yeah. with if, you know knowing what like the joe pesci situation the read on that whole scene with like what's so funny about me is that henry correctly calculates that whether he's serious or not and i think the movie is saying that that joe pesci was serious the only way he can get out of this is to allow joe pesci to save face by by saying you know get the f out of here to say to give him the out of it being a joke and that he was kidding around but you can see his wheels turning at, at every moment when he's dealing with someone was trying to convince people not to not to kill Maury or like trying to get someone to, you know, tr trying to get people not to bother Jimmy about stuff. Yeah. The wheels are always turning. And he's basically like he's like a, a really good social player on Survivor. And that's what he does within the organization. And that skill is not particularly valued, but it's literally the only thing that keeps him alive for most of this movie. And eventually when he's, you know, high on cocaine at the end and those skills are, you know, mooted, then he's, you know, at the end of his rope and he's done. But like, it's very rare to see a gangster movie where the main character is like, like I said, the social, the social player on Survivor throughout the entire thing, which is not, it's not a, th a trait that the movie admires really, but it is interesting in that he is not... He's not the sunny. He's not the mastermind like Michael. He is, uh, you know, he's his emotional intelligence keeps him alive for this whole film. I would say that also he's um, th this movie is getting across the idea that like when you are a gangster, everybody you work with is a gangster. <laughs> and yeah. it, it's not the cream of the crop. Right. And so you've got. Uh, your friends, right? But it's Tommy Joe Pesci who is terrifying, and it's He's Robert going to De Niro kill you someday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and Robert De Niro is Jimmy, and Jimmy is the more like you know the quiet sociopath, <laughs> right? Um, Who's then, eventually going to kill everyone you know, <laughs> right? And then Henry is like trying to trying to smooth it over. I think that's actually one of the reasons that Paul Cicero, Paul Servino, uh, likes Henry is like Henry Henry's personable, right? And Henry Henry can be dealt with, and in fact Henry can also like smooth things out, and that's valuable when mm -hmm. you're the manager of gangsters mm -hmm. right it's not it's not well, great uh well you, you definitely want a henry hill on your team and not a bunch of tommies no <laughs> like you want a tommy but 
you well, don't want to talk to if him. you have yeah, a lot of Tommies, they kill each other. So yeah, you're left the, with the, one the other people like the uh, Carbone who gets in the, in the freezer, all the people that Jimmy kills eventually, all those people are not as much trouble as Tommy, but they're also not as smart as Henry yeah. or Jimmy. Right? Guys, so, guys, are we are we writing a management book based on Goodfellas <laughs> uh-huh. here? Yeah, this is. I mean, this movie is basically a management guide yeah, for true. managing. You know, what, what color is do? your mob parachute? Um, <laughs> who moved my cheese? No, literally, who moved it? Who, I'm going to kill them. You think I'm a mouse? <laughs> the movie makes the point that these are people like that. When you're in this life. Yes, all your coworkers are mobsters, but they're also basically your family because they're your friends, they're your family, they're your entire life. You stay with them, you go on vacation with them, you see them at holidays, they're the only people who are at your wedding, they are your family. Uh, and even uh, even uh, his wife going talking about the other women and how they how they looked bad and would talk about how their husbands would kill people. And it's like this is it. Eventually, you're just in this life and. Yeah. It becomes normal because all your friends also have the FBI visiting on them. You know, she spent on her own floor. I never understood that. Uh, <laughs> it, it movie does a good job of depositing the viewer into that life until it starts to seem normal to them. So that when it all falls apart at the end, it feels like normalcy is falling apart for us. Since you mentioned the end, Ray Liotta is so convincing as somebody who is heavily on cocaine at the end of this movie. Oh, man. Oh, man. That is one ever... might suspect that some people involved with the movie had some experience with cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Martin Scorsese nearly died from, from a cocaine uh, addiction. Uh, I mean, he, he was long over that by the time this, this movie came along. But he, he had some experience of how you... Um, uh, live your life when you are really into cocaine. Anybody in Hollywood in the 70s, I feel like, is, a, is a yeah. probably a strong foundation to make a movie like this. And to Monty's point, the movie, again, we're talking about the artistry of Martin Scorsese here, the movie makes you feel it, right? Like, oh, yes. the movie puts <laughs> you high on cocaine, right? The movie on May 11th, 1980, 6.55 a.m., it's like, wake up, everybody. We are going to spend a day with a <laughs> lot of cocaine in our system and here, and the music's playing and the camera, and like the camera gets weird. And Yeah, the camera's usually so smooth, like going it into start, the It starts cabana. darting around just like his eyes. Yeah. yeah. Well, t- t- two things that I'd like to jump in on there. One, whenever my wife and I have a lot of errands and just a crazy day, like one of us will turn to the other and go, you want to see helicopters? Yeah. <laughs> um, the second thing is, uh, since we're talking about the camera work, uh, Michael Bauhaus is the director of photography on this movie. He uh, collaborated with Scorsese a, a bunch of times, but he is um, really one of the unsung heroes of this movie because um, uh, he just shoots it beautifully and does the things like uh, changing up the way that the camera handles the the, the scene during the, the May 11th scene. He was the guy who... Uh, Choreographed that that uh, the the steady cam shot through the uh, through the, uh, Copacabana. the Copacabana. Yeah, yeah. He 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 is absolutely fantastic, and uh, um, uh, this is his his masterwork. I I, I think as a as a, a DOP. Yeah, I think the, the Copacabana scene, you know, the steady cam going through the kitchen gets all the attention. But my favorite camera move in that whole thing is after they sit down at the table and the, and the waiter says, "This is from those people over there for you," and he pans the camera to the left. To, to show the people the table and they raise their glasses and then he brings it back. That's like, it's probably one of my favorite camera moves in all of cinema yep. because it is such a perfect 
sort of like they never get fully in the frame. Like you're not you're not shifting the attention over to them. It doesn't but you're matter just like, who yeah, they are. Well, these it's guys that, over here. Ah, it's like the head the head on the swivel uh, thing that that throughout it. You're you are basically tacking along. You're the third wheel on their date. Yeah, you're so. you're, yeah. you're you're uh, Lorraine Bracco because you're just mm-hmm. dizzy from like everything. And she gets a chance. It's like she would just glance over. Oh, the people sent me, and there's tables flying in, and we're going through the kitchen and this Where and that. Were, and, oh yeah. God, it's Henny Youngman. I'm in, yeah, I'm in construction. <laughs> See, See, John, one of my favorite shots in the movie um, is when they're in the um, the bar and they're uh, discussing the Air France thing, and uh, they wave uh, Robert De Niro over, oh, yeah, and it does that, that that really fast zoom in on him. And yeah, that, yeah, yeah. As the again with the soundtrack, the music is going. Yeah, and then he stands up yeah. real quick. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. It, that that is that is class. It's just every every time the camera is moving in this thing, it is it is working in concert with the actors, the script, and the music to convey something. It is never like there's no unmotivated movement. It's just such a beautiful orchestration of everything working together. It's it gets so so random because they have to they have to time it they have to time it to the dialogue of the people speaking they have to time it to the voiceover and they have to time it to the music like the editing yeah. the editing on this just to get this tall work together so everyone says all the things at the right spot it's just almost good watch it great almost good maker yeah absolutely the um that May eleventh scene too um yeah look for the helicopters always look for the helicopters the music is always going and then I just every time I am struck by how how like boy Henry Henry Hill for a an a liar and an a, you know and a, he's just an awful person he's also an overachiever let's just admit yeah. it because he's like okay here's what i'm gonna do today well i gotta have a lot of cocaine and the helicopters are following me because i'm you know they're not just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you but i'm also gonna make dinner and it's gonna be ziti with the meat gravy and the peppers and i gotta get the cocaine to the babysitter but i gotta whack it with quinine first at sandy's place and gotta sandy's- pick up my brother at the hospital too yeah. i gotta sell these guns but he doesn't want the guns I gotta so sell i gotta these- sell the guns to somebody else I got to sell these parts of guns that don't go together. <laughs> yeah. And the guy, Robert, like, Robert De Niro trying to put the silences on the guns and doing the Robert De Niro shrug and going, eh, and, and Henry like, just going, these. fine. I didn't say a word. I just left. <laughs> it's just, it's fine. And I got to do that. And then and I got to go back to that. And I got to make sure the babysitter doesn't call from the house. Oh, the, he hides the guns oh. at his mother-in-law's house. For yeah. The, when the helicopter, wait till the helicopters go away in a paper bag. <laughs> I, I would like Amazing. to point out that one, a uh, couple years ago on May 11th, I actually made the, Goodfellas gravy. <laughs> um, and let right, me t- I think it's, it's time for the IMDb goofs here. Yes. Okay? As you just All mentioned, right, Jason, go. he was going to make his, his, uh, his brother Michael's favorite, which is ZD with meat gravy. Meat gravy. Later, later in that scene, they have a, a shot that starts zoomed in on the table. That's rigatoni in that bowl. I'm sorry. Oh. No. IMDb Goof. goofs. <laughs> what a goof. But I, I do not like the phrase meat gravy. Can I just say that? <laughs> no. no. Uh, ragu will will work. Ragu, um, I and let me just say, and peppers. If you were to make that um, and eat it at uh, ten o'clock at night, as apparently they do, um, you would need lots of cocaine to be awake. <laughs> yeah, because you'd be up all night with the with the reflux. Yeah. Oh no, my god! You, you fall. So, you fall right to sleep. So much meat in that. You just know oh, I'm in a meat coma. Yeah. And then, and then, like two hours later, you wake up with a reflex. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's just it is an amazing scene. Now, the thing that I I had conflated the two music cues because it's actually there's that wild the wild male uh, 
May 11th music cue, which is the Harry Nilsson song. The other amazing music video, John, of uh, right before it is the Layla piano exit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Where, oh, which is, people, the, yeah. is like the Goodfellas version of when they, uh, when they deal with all family business in The Godfather. But in this case, what it is, and, and the more you think about it, because you could miss it. Um, and I think I might've missed it the first time, or at least it carried me along, but it is a romantic, romantic montage of Robert De Niro deciding he's just going to kill everybody else yeah, who was involved in the Lufthansa heist. Keep all the money. <laughs> and keep the money. Because, because, because I mean, they're they all spending it, they the it on cars and furs when he told them not to. So now he's just decided <laughs> he's going to kill them all. Mm-hmm. To the Layla piano exit, and, and then and the fact that Henry, the re- only reason Henry's not being killed is because Henry is smart and wasn't greedy and yes. said, "Look, yeah. I just I got the little finder's fee for finding you this thing, but I'm not in on it. I'm not asking for the money." And so he just does what Henry does, which is save his own skin by knowing when it's time to sit back and let Jimmy kill a bunch of people yep. that he's known all his life. <laughs> I love that Frank Barone, the uh, non-Tommy assassin, who comes in with his wife in the furs doesn't even argue like oh yeah okay i'll I'll get rid of it yeah all right uh i i like that a guy is a professional killer and also a complete pushover uh-huh <laughs> well just an income poop too yeah. Yeah. um i i i since we're on that scene i i i want to call out robert de niro here who um in recent years his selection of material <laughs> is somewhat questionable yeah As, i heard the intern uh, was good as he, <laughs> I did. He is either, um, you know, funding other projects or just trying to leave a legacy for 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 people and in terms of money. But he, I, I feel that his star has dimmed somewhat, and I think um, he does some really good work in this, particularly in the scene where you can see the wheel spinning in his head, and he's deciding who he's going to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's that scene where him, he and uh, Henry are walking, and um, you can just see the eyes shifting back and forth. Uh, Robert De Niro as he's calculating all the scenarios, and the moment when where he decides to kill Maury. Maury, yeah. He he, the corner of his mouth just sort of curls up like the Grinch, getting a getting a Grinchy idea, <laughs> yeah. I, and, idea, and it is it is fantastic. And we get the voiceover right there, which is like, and that's when I knew he was going to kill Maury, right? Yeah, but well, like, and then yep. it, this movie also yep. shows that Jimmy is the only one who is even close to being a match for Henry in terms of scheming, because Henry, be, you know, it, it, Henry trying to save Maury, you know, out of just basically out of the goodness of his heart, mostly, but just that's just kind of his role as like the peacemaker and settle things down. Uh, has, he's at the card game and he's got to try to convince uh, Jimmy not to kill Maury and then Jimmy leans over and says you know that thing's not forget about it I'm not going to do it yeah and it's supposed and, to be it, it, he thinks it's a mercy for Maury it's actually a mercy for Henry right I'm exactly, not going to make Jimmy knows Jimmy knows him. that Henry is there sweating the whole time saying oh how am I going to convince Jimmy so Jimmy puts Henry at ease yep. and it's the only time he is sort of emotionally and politically outsmarted in this movie by Jimmy saying don't, I see you're suffering yeah, yeah, here, Jerry. Forget, forget about, about it. Forget about it. Yeah, yeah. don't worry. Don't worry it's about okay. it. We're not. I've decided that thing. I decided I'm not going to do it. He's totally yeah. Gonna do it. Yeah. This is, you're not, I'm not going to have you do it immediately yeah. thereafter. Yeah. Talking about some of the the uh, the characters in this, Robert De Niro. I am also. I mean, look, Robert De Niro, long history with Martin Scorsese, Raging Bull, 
Um, taxi driver. Taxi driver. Yes. Long history there. Um, and I think that trust between them let somebody like Robert De Niro, who at this time was absolutely thought of as one of our great actors, um, take a part that is a. I mean, first off, he he and Joe Pesci are the seconds mm-hmm. to Ray Liotta, a guy who most of us had never heard of, or like, mm. is it the guy from Field of Dreams? <laughs> um, <laughs> right, it's the guy, who, the right-handed guy who played uh, left-hander Shoeless Joe Jackson. Exactly, Field of Dreams. Yeah. And I'm so that's, goofs. that's noted one Southern noted Southerner Ray Liotta. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's, that's one thing. And then the second thing is among the, the second level guys in this movie, one of the parts is real showy and the other is not. And Robert De Niro took that part and he is fantastic. But I also like the, the fact that he took the part, right? Because he knew he was going to get overshadowed by Joe Pesci and that really it's really Ray Liotta's movie but De Niro does masterful work throughout the scene one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever is after all of the the May stuff goes down and Lorraine Bracco comes over to him because she's desperate <laughs> for money and he mm-hmm. says oh I got some I got some coats just down there Keep going down mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And, 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 and and she looks and there's some guys in the shadowy like thing. She's like, oh, no, Jimmy, I'm going to go. Uh, and, she's, and she peels out. And it is the most like, just like. Terrified. Uh, yeah. It's congenially menacing is yeah. what he's doing there. It's just amazing. It's really remarkable. Hey. And I think we're all agreed she was absolutely going to be murdered. Yeah, there. yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you could see it in like, why would Jimmy be so insistent that she needs to go in somewhere? Like, it's just, I mean, the par- part of the whole thing of this movie, this, this movie kind of really cemented the trope that, uh, you know, like like how super villains always have to have an elaborate way to kill you or James Bond villains always have, to have an elaborate way to kill you. Well, this movie cemented the trope that when the mob kills you, it always has to, they always have to like put you at ease first and make you think you're not going to be killed. To almost to a hilarious degree, it's like, look, if you're just going to kill him, just kill him. But no, it's really important for you to like think, to make Joe Pesci think he's going to yeah. be made and to escort him and celebrate with him right up to the moment where he dies. Right up to that moment, it's like, oh yeah, no, we're doing we, this thing. It's we great. We even re- rented, rented a room for you. Yeah, they're, they're, Come on they're in. joking with Maury when he gets in the seat. What are we going to get? Do they have Danish there? Yeah, they have Danish ice pick yeah. to the back of the head. Like it's right up to the moment you die they're you know they're your friends and so that is the whole thing of like oh i got some furs you or whatever and like what she did by by hesitating is she drew out that moment right yeah. that, that the switch from like oh no i got some stuff we're friendly we're friendly it should be and immediately dead but she pauses and now we're left with this menace of going wait this is the moment between this is the gap between when they're being friendly and when you're being dead and yep. then she runs away in her volvo uh, so good. But to get to get back to your point, Jason, I think if I recall correctly, it was kind of a condition of Scorsese getting money to make the movie that, that De Niro that be get, in it, that he yeah. get De Niro in it somehow. Um, because you know they're not going. Well, Paul Servito is in this again. movie. Here's a here's a wheelbarrow full of money. Every Italian American actor in New York is in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's De Niro's generosity and and being so good and so big and also having that relationship with Scorsese that he's like, yeah, I'll do that part, and he kills sure. it. But like, I would say it's not every day that you would get an actor of this stature at this point in his career willing to do this, th- you know, third most important actor in the movie 
but he was willing to do it here. It's it's like the idea of like, you know, that great character actor who's totally unsung and then they're in a movie and you're like, oh my God, that great character actor was so good in that. Well, it's like, it, that's what this part is, except it's Robert De Niro doing it. It's like, well, okay, yeah. Well, um, you know, Robert De Niro had obviously worked with Martin Scorsese yeah. before. He probably found it relaxing not to have to go full Travis Bickle for... I agree. I think his, you know, his agent might have been like, "Why are you doing?" This? And it's like, "It's Marty. <laughs> it's fine." Well, and he, I admit, again, and with his future, his future film choices, I think his agent probably stopped asking that question. Yeah, eventually, <laughs> learned to stop asking. This? So Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci, Tommy is a is a hothead, and again, he's a you, bad kid. He's a bad seed. Get, what do you want me to do? You get the, he's got a temper. You get the um. One of the nice things is you get the shorthand before you before you really get into the characters. So you get that scene where it's like it's Jimmy and Tommy and me and Anthony and Frankie and Mo, Mo Black's brother, Fred Andy, and Pete the Killer, who is Sally Ball's brother, and Nikki Eyes and Mickey F- and Chase and Jimmy two times because he said everything two times. Right. Like, go get the papers. Get, get the, the papers. papers. <laughs> it's so amazing. And then and it's like everybody's a character. And it's like, OK, Tommy, what's Tommy's character? And you get that. You get that. You think I'm funny. I'm a clown. I amuse you scene. And we talked about it before. It's the, but like, and John said, he's probably not joking. And Henry kind of like makes it that he's joking. He may be joking. He may not be joking. What's great about it is that even though in that moment, he doesn't do anything to Henry and they all have a laugh. He takes it out on the way. The, he he do, and he does do that. But, but in that moment, every, everybody is silent because yeah. it's clear that this is Tommy. That when Tommy is going off, anything can happen. And we see he smashes the bottle into the guy's face. Uh, and then later we see with Spider, mm-hmm. right? Like he doesn't take it from Spider and he shoots him in the foot. And then Spider gives him and, some and crap his, later his and he shoots him many times. non-emotionally intelligent friends goad him on and say, are you going to take that? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing telling, saying that to Tommy? Because Henry gives him the out. Henry gives him a way to to leave that while saving face. Yeah, but Jimmy is the quiet. You pull one over J- Jimmy is the quiet sociopath, yeah. though. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy does not give him an out. Jimmy Jimmy teases him until he, I mean, until he kills him. Do I want him. this kid to be alive or do I want to bust Tommy's balls? I, I want to bust Tommy his balls and see what happens i think tommy is kidding in that scene yeah but if henry doesn't find a good way out of it he's gonna get killed anyway well (laughs) because because henry because once tommy's on a roll right that's part of it that's part of that where he's like no i don't i don't understand tell me explain it to me like joe pesci once he's decided there's an ego threat once his reputation or ego or threatens in any way there is is no way out yeah, yeah. And, and and Joe Pesci is so he's so good. I mean, like, yeah, breaking news. Joe Pesci's good in Goodfellas. But like what makes Joe Pesci so good as an actor and so good as a fifth of this part is that he's such a good fast talker and a builder upper of language where Joe Pesci is just one of those guys who he starts to get on a roll and his voice keeps getting higher. And he's like, what are you doing now? And what are you doing now? And, and, and he's going to explode. And he is like, he is going to explode. Uh, so perfect. explodes. Uh, I feel badly for people who haven't seen the movie because those um, poor suckers in, no, no. in general. Well, <laughs> They had because because at this at this point, even if you haven't seen the movie, you, you're aware of that scene. And having seen having seen the movie, the opening weekend, when that scene came on, that was the moment for me when I said, "Oh my God, this is the greatest movie yeah. ever made." <laughs> yeah, that there there is no way that uh, any movie that will come before or after this can top this moment. I think it still works because 
in the moment of relief, he mm-hmm. then just turns his frustration mm-hmm. on the other guy. Yeah, so, you, no. so even if you're watching, you're like, oh, that's that famous scene. Oh, I'm relieved. Oh, no. Now he's smashing <laughs> the guy's head with a bottle. Just yeah. reminding you that this guy is oh, going to be a problem, that, he, that even Henry can't actually, all he can do is diffuse and deflect. But in the end, Tommy's a bad seat. Also, one of the best uh, laughs that the movie got uh, at that first screening I went to is in the opening scene when Joe Pesci pulls the giant knife out of his <laughs> out of his um, um, uh, a coat to, to chop up uh, Billy Bats, and the audience just loses it at that point. It and it's, it's even better to see where he gets the knife yeah, from. Later in the yeah, I was going to say exactly. that, that wonderful scene. Borrow this knife, mom. You know, mobsters and moms. Uh, we're we're at, and it's Martin Scorsese's mom. Is mm-hmm. is is Joe Pesci's mom in this movie, and she and they, they have that that really funny. The, this movie is very funny. Um, that, oh, that, it's hilarious. It, that, that's one of the beautiful things about it, um, and it mixes the funny with the with the horror in in amazing ways. But that scene with with Joe Pesci's mom and they're talking and they're telling stories, and she says, "Oh, how about this painting?" And it's the two. Oh, I like it. The dogs are pointing. Mm-hmm. One dog's going that way, and the other dog's going this way. <laughs> did, did Tommy and, ever tell you about my painting? <laughs> it's just um and that that is so great and then he's like ma ma i gotta borrow a knife uh we gotta we hit up we had a deer on the we road i gotta like uh the, a gristle the, the, in there and the gotta, paw what do you call the paw yeah and he's just just bring it back and he's like oh yeah mom I'll, you know you know me i'll bring it back and then and then yeah we already know that he's gonna stab that guy <laughs> with it multiple times before before de niro is like you know the knife didn't work that great before i'm just gonna shoot him a lot <laughs> That'll HBO Max has an introduction by Martin Scorsese yes. on Goodfellas, and half of it is about that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. It, it seemed like a lot of it was improvised with them just around the table mm-hmm. coming yeah. up with things other to than say. The, other than That's the painting, other than the painting, where you can see it cuts back to her, and she's now got the painting below, below mm-hmm. and she's like, "Did you see my painting?" Because they wanted to do the thing with the paining. But well, because they- that's his mother, Martin Scorsese's yeah. mother, and he, she considered De Niro and Pesci like her kids anyway because yeah. they'd been friends for so long. So she was able to just roll with it. And Henry just sort of sits there and watches. And they're like, "Oh, look, you, Henry, you're just sitting here watching." And it's like, "Yeah, that's what I do." Mm-hmm. And she's got a story yeah. about that. And she does. <laughs> and and then um and Billy Bats, we should say. So like, when we talk about what makes Tommy tick. Like Billy Bats is this made man. He's gotten out of prison after six years, and he said, and he is joking about Tommy and saying, you know, when I remember you, you were a kid who shined shoes, and 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 then he's like, no, I'm just busting your balls, and then he does it again. He twists it and he's like, get your shine box, and um, and so Pesci leaves. So there's so much character detail in here because. De Niro in this scene is so restrained, right? He doesn't say the wrong thing. He just sort of says, you did insult him a little bit. Mm-hmm. He says, little bit, little, little bit, little bit. And we know from what happens next, which is once Pesci comes back after the place is cleared well, out. Well, before he left, he said, keep him here. Keep him here. Yeah, yeah. He's telling his two other friends, like, they mm-hmm. both know what's going to happen. Yeah. Keep him here. Yeah, and, and, and as soon as he goes down, De Niro is into it, right? De Niro and is in, stomping away. into the stomping so, on the guy. He's not like, this is Tommy's thing. He's like, again, quiet sociopath. He's like, he's ready to do it, too. And they keep him there. And uh, and then and the last line in there is like I didn't want to get blood on your floor. He says that's when he puts like, it puts him on the tablecloth. Yeah, oh yeah, it's nice. It's, it's nice. I'm good. It's good that that you care. 
Yeah. Speaking of those two things, like, so De Niro is famous actor by the time this movie comes along, known for so many things, you know, like, but this movie defines some, like, it either redefined or replaced or put into the public consciousness so many things that are associated with Robert De Niro, you insulted him a little bit, the stomping with the foot, those two things alone have dwarfed anything else that Robert De Niro is known for in his previous, his pr- career previous to that, you would think, like, Marlon Brando would be known for all, like, the Godfather things, it's as if Marlon Brando did a movie later that replaced all the things that people knew him for the Godfather when everyone brought up uh, Marlon Brando, everyone said you insulted him a little bit and did the foot stomp. Like, the even though he had a minor role in this movie, it sort of redefined who Robert De Niro was to maybe just to an entire generation of people who didn't know him from back then. But it is very, very iconic for the few small things that he does. I think that's a little strong. Like uh, Taxi Driver has some memorable lines. In yeah, it you're that... talking to me. Did survived for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, really, Oda. Again, yes. speaking of best laughs. So, oh my god. <laughs> internet meme Ray Liotta <laughs> yeah but the 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 fact that he like even on the poster he's off to the side and Robert De Niro's in the middle right mm-hmm. but like this is his movie and he is like hey he was Sheila's Joe in, in Field of Dreams right like <laughs> and he is he is great in this movie the narration is great uh, his performance is great it is a it is a career making and career defining uh, moment for him but he's up to it. Uh, he, you know, he's up to it. And he is he is so likable while, while being an utterly despicable character. It is a real neat trick and 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 really well done. And yeah, it's I a good audience proxy because yeah. he seems the most normal, normal of all the psychopaths that he's amongst. And we can we the audience relates to him as if like if I was in that situation, how would I survive when you watch Henry trying to pull it off until the wheels come off later, obviously, which again helps that he's the audience proxy with the wheels coming off. But uh yeah, I think I think remember reading about this. I think uh, that they, uh, Scorsese had to do a lot of arguing to allow uh, Ray Liotta to be cast in this because you know ev- everyone involved in the movie is gonna think I like your other casting choices. I'm not sure about this guy. Uh, it turns out it was fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, like I said, this was my motive. I've been holding this one as you know we've done you know 600 odd episodes, and it's like I've been holding this one because I, I I've absolutely wanted to do it at some point. And um and when Ray Liotta passed away, I was like, okay, we got to do this. We got to talk about this thing because it, it is, uh, it's a great performance. And um, the uh, so I want to mention Lorraine Bracco. Not a, not a lot of women in this movie. Lorraine Bracco, we already talked about. She takes over for uh the narration at at, at a few points, which is great. Um and I I just she's so charismatic as well. It it is a really good she. She holds up the screen there too with Ray Liotta. They are both doing a, a great yeah, job she, here. She's, she's a match for him. They make that yes. point pretty early on when she's angry of getting stood up by him. When she's got when she's holding the gun to his face yeah. later. Oh, obviously, that she, shot! Oh obviously, she has a different point of view than her husband mm-hmm. in this movie in terms of what's important. But she is so she is so up to going toe to toe to him. The, the scene with her chucking the bread out of her long overcoat in the jail is just <laughs> well, she's, the meat. The meat cute is is so funny too because it's the uh, setup on a double date doesn't want to be mm-hmm. there uh ray Liotta is like can i pay the bill can we go because uh, he really doesn't want to be there with her then they set her up on another double date she doesn't sh- he doesn't come right mm-hmm. and, and she makes tommy go take him uh take her back to yell at him yeah <laughs> and then and th- and yet 
you know, in, in the end, it, it, it all works. And then when she comes in as the narrator, you're like, oh, okay, all right. This well, is when she comes in, the narrator says, you know, I know, uh, you know, some people like my friends who would have been out of there the minute their their boyfriend gave them a gun to hide. But yeah. she's got to admit it turned her on. And that's that, that explains oh, so that, powerful. That's that. Mazel oh, that, that guy that hits on her or does something, we don't know exactly what. Exactly. Yeah. Just he started whipped. touching me. Uh, he, assault, he, had, he, had, I mean, he, he had wandering hands. He sexually assaulted her in some yeah, way, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, For yeah. sure, we would say today. Absolutely. That, that guy has some guts. When he sees Ray Liotta coming at him and he's like, I, I, I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know that it's guts. I think he has the unearned arrogance of a wealthy man. <laughs> exactly. That, His so friends right. know what's up. They back up. They're like, no, don't shoot. Well, we, they only back up well, after they, they after he's hit with the bottom. After, after the pistol whip. Back at pistol whip. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, and, and by the way, here, here's the thing that I think says I'm a gangster more than anything else is like he's he's dating Lorraine Bracco. He's dating Karen. Uh-huh. She lives. Her her family lives across the street. They went to school together. This is not like a man came up to me somewhere randomly and and beat me savagely with a gun. This is literally the guy who's dating Karen across the street came over here. And I know like he sexually assaulted her. It, it, it is unlikely that anything is going to come to this. But I like the boldness of of I am a gangster. I don't care that this is out in the daylight and everybody on the neighborhood block can see it. And everybody knows who I'm with and whose house that is doesn't matter i'm just gonna go beat that guy up a little bit and say never look at her again and i it, it makes the same point that he does later in the movie there is no there is no tough guy talk there is no yelling there is no arguing he just walks straight up to him do purposefully it. in an amazing shot and just bang 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 this is my solution <laughs> it's a callback to the thing that de niro says earlier when they're robbing a truck driver it's you may know who we are but we definitely yeah, we, know we, who yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and he he doesn't he doesn't have to make any point and he doesn't have to make the argument he just does that and then he does say before you touch her again and i'll kill you right yeah. but i think the point is made without that <laughs> by by the way if you're doing the uh tag yourself as a character in the movie i am literally the guy who is standing there going don't shoot, don't shoot! <laughs> <laughs> that's me except i'm that there's a wet spot in my pants yeah and I'm, I'm i'm the corvette in the driveway yes um uh, Okay. Marty, young call lady. me. I can be a coward. I'm the dog that's facing me. left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, so what? That's yeah. One goes one way, one goes the other. Who cares? Um. All right. Um. What else is going on here? Saturday night was for wives. Friday night was for girlfriends. I mentioned because we do we do get this series because not only is there Janice Rossi where we get the whole thing where where uh, later Karen is like Janice Rossi. There's a whore living in 2R. 2R Rossi, yeah. you're nothing but a whore. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, J- uh, Jason, please announce her properly. She's Janice Rossi, the whore living in 2R. In 2R. And then also there's Debbie Mazer as Sandy, um, a, a recognizable actress. I'm like, hey, it's Debbie Mazer. And she's Sandy. And she's around. And then later, we we discover at, at a later point, she is his cocaine-fueled uh, cutting the cocaine while they have sex, girlfriend mm-hmm. that he has, because the many, the, the many, the many women. Of- he, he noticed that was another great scene where he notices her. He's in Janice's apartment, yeah. throws her on the bed. All the girls are in the room looking, and and then he, you know, uh, uh, Ray's getting all horny, throwing his girlfriend on the bed. They all start leaving the room, and he locks eyes with uh, with what's her name, cocaine girl, and Sandy, she starts backing out of the room, and she bumps into the door frame as she's exiting because she's so mesmerized by that. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. 
this is this movie is literally uh, a, a, the the hey it's that Goomba of movies. <laughs> oh yeah, because you get your your um, Polly Walnuts is in an early mm, scene. Christ- the, Christopher, yeah, Michael uh, Imperioli. Michael Imperioli. Yeah. Uh, you get Samuel L. Jackson. Is stacks everyone mm-hmm. loves stacks. Yeah, uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. is in there as the doctor. The only person, by the way, in this movie who is kind to to uh, to uh, Ray Liotta and who uh, is just trying to be nice to him. Give, give him a Valium. Yeah, sent him on his way. Yeah. So, and uh, uh. The, the the guy who owned Rouse in New York, he's Johnny Dio. And he eventually went on to play the um, the FBI uh, head FBI guy in The Sopranos. Basically, this was The Sopranos uh, uh, yeah, audition I mean, pilot yeah. for a lot of people. Pilot yeah. episode. I was want to say that this is the this is the rare movie that shows members of the mob being shaken up by the acts of violence committed by themselves and their colleagues. Mm-hmm. Right, like that that most mobster movies show the mobsters doing horrible acts of violence, but this movie very often shows in almost every scene where someone is getting shot, punched, killed, strangled or whatever other people who are bystanders are shaken by it even right. even when tommy when he comes back and kills billy bats tommy is shaken by it and they all kind of are like if you watch when when uh, robert janeiro is shooting billy bats in the trunk in the opening scene ray liotta is flinching and yeah. like just recoiling from it right that that these horrible acts of violence even to the people who are in the life are still upsetting and still shake you up which is goes to goes to the you know the thing i mean I guess the Godfather does as well with Michael shooting the policeman and, and flipping out about it in the uh, you know in the restaurant or whatever. But right. like it, it, this movie never backs away from the idea that this the 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 thing that is normalized is pretending it is normal. But the violence is never it, it, you know there is no way not to react to the violence. They're not all so hardened that it doesn't bother them. It still does. Right. Um, toward the end of the movie, we get um, so so Henry does his first time. Because so so Polly, who is the 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 boss here, and that is that is Paul Cicero. It's played by Paul Sorvino. Great part here as well. Another great performance, I would say. And he is, you know, he's understated. We, he's introduced as the guy who doesn't have a phone in his house and won't uh, he, he won't talk to anybody on the phone and he won't talk to more than one person at a time. So everything is relayed, which is like his his method of not being uh, caught, I guess, or tracked down. So. Um, he says you gotta. He says he says you gotta go back. You gotta go home to the family after the the horror into our incident. But he says, but first, go down to Tampa. Uh, there's a guy down there, but then you'll have a nice weekend. And they, and they they take him to the zoo and they're gonna feed him to the lions. And he says, oh no no, I'll pay you, I'll pay you. And he's like, God, the the narration is like, I guess they really feed people to the lions down there in Tampa. Because upside as down we, camera shot of the lion. Yeah. Because so, so as soon fun. as we do did that, he said he would pay us, but. Uh, the guy's sister worked as a typist for the FBI <laughs> and she gave us everybody. And, and so he's, he gets sent away and, and he gets sent away and, and, and Paul Cicero gets sent away, which leads to another one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, first off the indelible scene of them shaving the garlic <laughs> with a razor blade, which John. is pointless, <laughs> but it's like, Oh, and it just melts in the pan. But I just, I love that. And of course the idea here is that they, while they are in prison, they are in the ultimate Epicurean mm-hmm salon right it's like they're bringing in lobsters they lived alone in their little 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 and, area and we own the joint he says. The, the typical arguments that would be played up even more of the sopranos oh i thought he'd be used too many onions like the the, the bickering is still the friendly yeah. family bickering over the quality of the three food onions? still there three onions? And don't use too many onions Not and of course right three. after right after we get told how luxurious they have it we see that when 
uh, Karen comes to visit Henry, it's in the same just zoo everyone else is in. Right, mm-hmm. right. But they're off in their own little but, special but, thing. But she's, she's unpacking all like the, the bread and the cold cuts right out of her coat when she's getting mad at him. Yeah. But with the guard intentionally looking the other way. Right. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So we get we get all of that, and they do their time, and it's just this this thing of like that. But this is also where Henry gets starts to take the pills. Uh, like he is his his falling apart is is a speeding up here, and then after that that scene, um, well, okay, and the Lufthansa heist and all that happens, and 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 so all that's going on, and then they kill all the people to to uh the Layla piano exit, um, but we get that we get that moment where um, the death of Billy bats comes back around, which is they're going to make the, it's the happy occasion. Happiest occasion for any gangster is when one of their friends is going to be a made man. And they explain like made man, they can't kill you unless you get permission and all this stuff has got to go on and it's got to be. And, and we know that Billy bats was a made man, which is why that this is a problem, but it, it's receded enough into the background that we get the moment where it's like, Oh, uh, you know, Jimmy, because he's a, or Tommy, because he's a, a full-blooded is going to be a made man. And it's like, everybody's so happy for him and they take him. And there's that amazing scene where they lead him into the house and they're like going to take him into the room and there's nobody in the room. And he says, Oh, n-, and then he can't say even no, they shoot him in the back of the head. And then he gets the call from, is that Martin Scorsese's dad? Yes. It's Charles Sco- Scorsese. Right. And, and it's that Vinny. moment. Yeah, and, well, there's nothing we could do. Yeah, it's well, him. We, we had a problem. It's because it's him and Tootie who are the who are the two, and Tootie is the one who who shoots him. And that's Frank DeLeo, the record producer, who also you may know from Wayne's World as the <laughs> record producer, who Mr. Big, who comes and gives them the the record or the big contract at the end, or Wayne's girlfriend, the big contract at the end of Wayne's yes. World. He was in very few movies, but also produced a bazillion albums it is and so music it is so it is the most cold-blooded thing in the movie that they have tootie pull the trigger right right and it's, it's, it's not... paul cicero's like little brother yeah who's a minor functionary but it's him and marty scorsese's dad in that room and he pulls the trigger bullet you know right out the front of joe pesci's head and then and then uh uh marty so they couldn't give it so they couldn't give him an open casket yeah and then they, they do the thing that uh, and that i also love from the studio ghibli movie the opening of uh, castle in the sky they do that then there's some voiceover they go back to him on the phone booth saying there's nothing we could do we had a problem blah 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 then they cut back to joe pesci just so we can see the blood, the blood. slowly draining yeah. <laughs> his head and covering the floor yeah and so charles scorsese can say and that's that and, and that's, that's that that uh, that that phone call to de niro is amazing right like it's like yeah. oh, we just could uh, nothing could be done this is what we've lost with gone. cell phones what, what do you hitting, mean hitting the hitting the phone against the the side of the receiver people yeah, the who handset never onto the, the payphone yeah yeah the payphone era people who don't know how sturdy those payphone handles were and yeah. how it's just such a visceral act that is now can only be seen I, in I did not pieces. know you could just push a phone booth over like that. Well, yeah. why would you, you want you, to? You, you can with your Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess I'll when try you, that then. When you, when you, <laughs> next when you've time got, you're at a like, glass murder <laughs> rage, the next time one of us is whacked, uh, Monty, you yeah, can get angry right. and toss over a phone booth. The, the I just like the, all the euphemisms, right? He's like, oh, he's gone. Nothing we could do. We, we lost him. He's gone. Yeah, we he lost him. There was, there was a problem. There was a problem, you know, with Billy Bats and, you know, and it's like, and, and, and then, and then we get the, re, you know, emotion from Robert De Niro. He's very upset about it. And Henry's there and they're both very upset. Um, but it is, it, it is, it is also, it's funny. Cause you'd think, oh, well, well, at least with Tommy out of the picture, 
things will be less insane mm-hmm. in the life yeah. of Henry Hill. That is not what happens. No. Because you see, he's been getting the the cocaine money from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And so it is it is very after everybody has been taken care of uh and and uh, he's been getting the cocaine money we get the May 11th 1980 sequence. So it, this is yeah. the descent this, into this madness. is part of the management lesson of this movie, right? Uh why was Ray Liotta having to do it? Well one wasn't when he was inside as Paul says whatever you had to do when you were inside that's fine. You right. have to make money when you're in prison. We understand that you got to do drugs when you're out here don't do that. But the reason Henry is pursuing this is because he's hit he's hit the ceiling of his ability to progress within the organization because he's not right. full-blooded. Yeah. So if he wants to progress and gain more wealth and power, he has to do it on his own and that's why he's going through Pittsburgh connections to do all the drug deal stuff. So really, Paulie could have prevented this if he said, "You know what? I'm opening the books. I'm allowing people who are not pure-blooded Italian to rise of my organization and then henry could have stuck with paulie and in the romanticized world of gangsters and hollywood movies not been a drug dealer yeah and this is the line that makes me laugh uh every time in the narration is this is the bad time Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's like he he's desperate he goes back to karen after he gets out on bail and he's like well i I need to sell that cocaine you were hiding and she's like well i flushed it down the toilet because it was an fbi raid and he's like they wouldn't have found it karen it's like based on what evidence they were looking everywhere and he's and he's totally wrong about that the first rule of an fbi raid is you flush the cocaine down the toilet everyone knows first rule yeah but he's like but but he is not thinking logically and is desperate and remembers that there was cocaine there. He's, but he's like, why'd you do it, Karen? It's like, because they would have found it. But he doesn't take that. And of course, Polly is furious. So you, because he said, you got, you can't do this. You can't do the drugs. You can't, you, I, I need you out of that. Um, which you, you're right. It's a little bit like, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rise you anymore or pay you anymore. But, um, but you can't, I don't want you doing anything on your own. Yeah. You've got a non-compete here with the mob. You can't, don't do drugs. Well, uh, and there's no, uh, we can frame it as a moral stand if we want, but basically it's Polly doesn't want to go to jail because he, because one of his guys, a drug dealer. The right, laws yeah. around drugs are so draconian that, yeah, you know, exactly. very minor offenses, you get huge amounts of time. It's much better to stick with, you know, intimidation insurance for, uh, yeah, you know, exactly numbers. what Polly thought was going to happen happens. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So he gives him 3000 bucks and, uh, and for a lifetime for a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then, and then Karen meets with Jimmy and we get that scene just right down there, right down there. And, and, and there's that line, nobody tells you they're going to kill you. They come with smiles. They come as your friends. So I met Jimmy in a crowded place. We both knew. And Jimmy's trying to find out if he's going to rat him out. Um, and he says, we're going to, I want you to go down to Florida and do a hit. And and again, we get that. That's when I knew line, right? We're just mm-hmm. like with Maury. Um, by the way, mentioning Maury, I just want to say, I, I love the Maury's wigs don't come off ad. <laughs> and I, then I love that he's immediately strangled and the wig comes off his mm-hmm. head. And they both, they both start laughing about it coming off. <laughs> The commercial is clearly fake, right? He jumps into the water, then you cut to yeah, him standing in the water, yeah. and the wig is completely dry. Yeah, it's a that's bad commercial. Yeah, exactly. So, to uh, like or a Monty, good commercial. I've read, <laughs> like like Monty, I've read the book, and apparently, um, the person whom De Niro's character is based on was an insomniac, and um, he would sit up late at night, and these 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 commercials would air. And he'd be all, "This is this guy owes me money, and I'm watching his <laughs> stupid commercials." And and he was driven mad with rage because this 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 is a thing that really happened. There was a a uh, a, a toupee salesman who was 
big into uh, uh, Jimmy and uh, needed to be taught a lesson. Yeah, another thing in this movie it helps you to sympathize with these people, right? So Maury is annoying, and he's so doesn't get the point that don't nag the mobsters that you owe money yes. to, right? Like he does, <laughs> he just doesn't get it, no matter how many times Henry explains it, and it's like Jimmy is being an unconscionable ball it, buster. It, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it a certain it, it, the audience turns on Maury so quickly of oh, like yeah. being, it, it, you know, and but then Maury's wife shows up. He hasn't called. He's never been out all night Not without calling. Once. <laughs> not once and, she's, and they're like Morris, oh, i'm sure i'm Morris. sure and, oh and she goes to henry henry yeah. who had previously thought that he was going to be fine but as soon as maury's wife shows up henry knows that now maury's been whacked but he but he has to actually say to her is i'm sure she's he's fine he's just yeah. sleeping it off somewhere and the camera's swirling around her and her hair is all disheveled and then you feel for maury again how does the how does the movie do it maury's wigs it's don't come off. Uh, it's so yeah. good. It's up there with the Ghostbusters ad as my my filmmakers making hilarious TV ads. I, I just I love it. TV ads inside movies with um, the amazing graphics with like the 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 text over the black background. Those graphics that he paid for. You know, Jimmy's he's got money to pay for those commercials, but not to pay me. Yeah. Well, and 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 Maury's so needy too, right? He's like, I gotta see Jimmy. I gotta see Jimmy. I need my mm-hmm. money. I need my money uh why do you need your money he never explains that i mean he's a he's a gambling addict i mean that's that's, money but 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 the the other thing is that at a certain point we realize we the audience realize jimmy's never given anyone any money right and then and then like at first like maury's get a child maury he'll get your money but then we're like no maury you're never gonna get your money (laughs) if maury had any sense he would like offered some sort of deal like he owed jimmy money at first Mm -hmm. so maybe you could just take some off that or yeah Give no, me a credit line at get what, something. What am I, a schmuck on wheels? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh. the the end of this movie, Henry Hill gives evidence against all of his former associates to a real FBI agent, right? Yeah, uh, the, the, yeah, the, the the real U.S. attorney who handled this case. So he and and boy does it show in his performance. There's also that great moment of like uh witness protection where like oh, I don't want well, I don't want to go. Just nope, just, he, nope, just no place codes. Just whoever controls it, just no place like the idea that, again the the idea yeah. that like the used to the privileged life of being a mobster. It's like I don't I don't need to know the details. Just just make it happen yeah. for me. And He's Karen not is not on board, right? <laughs> Karen is like, well, you know, do I and he, and, and yeah, the, you just it, need him, you don't need me. Yeah, yeah, we don't yeah, <laughs> I, I frankly I don't care whether you come or not other than that if it makes him happy. Other than you're going to die if you don't <laughs> and that's that well and that, yeah you're gonna die and, and i think the the true story is that she went with him and then divorced him right like so yes it, yep. so that well that, um let, yeah the 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 i believe they sent him to washington state <laughs> kind of cold there yeah but um the the fact of the matter is um Henry Hill's recidivism rate was uh, rather high. Sure. Yes, and, of course. Uh, yeah, they, 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 they have them the text at the end and that and, he was yeah, arrested and, for and drugs. And continued to be a drug dealer. And, and, yeah. Um, and Karen did not stay was, with him. Yeah. And he was so awful that they actually kicked him out of the program. Yeah. <laughs> so you are on your own now, buddy. I am fascinated with this fact. Nick Pileggi, who wrote Wise Guys, is married to Nora Ephron. Oh, Yes. Nora Ephron wrote the script for the movie My Blue Heaven, which is based on mm-hmm. Wise Guys. Entire, yeah, Wise Guys. It's it same. came out a month before Goodfellas, but it's basically a sequel to Goodfellas. Yeah. Wild stuff. So the end of this movie, in the movie, they arrest everybody. Um, he has like there's a, a very, in China. That's why, right? There's a very poetic line about about how 
all that I have is my birth certificate and my arrest sheet. That's all you'd ever know that I was never voted, never paid taxes. But it's like he's just completely disloyal. He sets them all up, uh, and and this is the moment where the movie at the very end really wants. He's talking to us directly in the camera, as we said earlier. And he says the hardest thing ever for leave was leaving the life. He's like, you really, he really wants you to empathize with him. Uh, but like in the end, he's like, but listen, I'm the real victim here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm in the suburbs in a comfortable place where I wear a robe and get my newspaper on my front uh, step. But there's no action. worse than death. I have to wait lines with regular like people. I'm a schnook. Oh, you poor and, guy. The end. And, then, <laughs> and, and this is the, this, this is the thing that comes across in like oh, the Scorsese interviews when yeah. he's talking about the character. He says, oh, that poor guy. He doesn't get to do things anymore. Oh, he's sad that he can't commit crimes. Uh, uh, but the movie actually ends on they do a fast cut to Joe Pesci pointing at the camera with a mobster hat on it, shooting into the thing with like and especially in the movie theater when the volume's up real loud. It's one last, it's almost a jump scare, one last jump scare to smack the audience in the face and to remind them that that thing that he's romanticizing, that was the thing with Tommy killing people. It wasn't, it wasn't yep. as great as he thought it was. And, that, and that's, and that's, here's Martin Scorsese, the film school student. Uh, it's a, it's a callback to this really famous shot like, of the cowboy who points mm-hmm. the gun at the, the, the the uh in early cinema days and, and the great train robbery there thank you that's thank what you, the Monty. other half of scorsese's introduction was about it was yeah. all about uh we improvised that scene and this is from the great train robbery yeah, yeah. And, he's, and he's that's why he's got a hat on that he never wears at any other point in the movie exactly match, no it's yeah. it's a yeah it's a great train robbery shout out and then they do have the text on the screen that explains that he doesn't exactly live happily after they do get no, divorced. There's he does no, there's no happily get, ever after no. for anyone the, in the, this movie. The updated version for people who are curious is Paul Cicero, they they say basically died in prison. And Just they, like they he say, said he didn't want to do. They like say Jimmy, Jimmy is in prison while Jimmy also died in prison. Yeah. And uh and as for Henry, you see they made a book and a movie about his life and he mm. pretty much ate out on that for the rest of his life while being arrested at various times and mm-hmm. and you know reconciling with his kids sometimes and not other times and basically and, and being more just the same guy. not being not being killed by the mob. And not <laughs> yes. never Never no. killed di- died of of cancer in his late I, 70s I, I, at, I in tell LA. You that. <laughs> he may have um, reconciled at some point with his kids. His kids do not care for him. Um, no, no. Like on, I said, he reconciled an and then didn't, and then yeah, like it was a whole no. ugly thing. Yeah, yeah. They, exactly they right. Didn't, they don't much. I think that comes across in the movie when the only time we ever see the kids is when he's like screaming at his wife and storming out of the house, and they show that these terrified children. Yeah, mm-hmm. not fathers was, a year. I guess he was sixty nine when he died, but uh, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, that was, and he had, you know, had a girlfriend and was like, again, living large on being Henry Hill, the famous mobster. And they did never uh, whack him because, you know, I guess he was too high well, profile. Be, no, because all the people who were, who yeah, and were in jail, dead or in jail. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Outli- here's, here's another one for our management book, Outlive Your Enemies. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I love <laughs> no it. No one will yeah. try and kill you. Well, Jimmy was trying to make that happen faster than normal. He yeah. <laughs> outlived his enemies and just Cicero killed him. Uh, once Paul Cicero goes to jail, somebody else swoops in and takes this territory over. Exactly, and they're they're okay with the situation. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. <sighs> well, that that's Goodfellas. Uh, it, it is uh, 
like I said, one of my favorites. And I, I, what I love about it is that it's got these great characters, great scenes, the great music. It's got good writing. It has uh, something to say uh, that is sort of a nice kind of counterpoint to the most legendary film in the genre up to that point of gangster movies, The Godfather, to take a different tack on it and making it less glamorous and 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 showing the foot soldiers and showing what that life is and. I don't know. And, and it is Martin Scorsese at the maybe height of his powers. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is, it, it's remarkable. What, what have we not covered that you guys would like to talk about? I have a technical question. I don't think I, I probably looked this up on the internet so long ago. I've already forgotten. Uh, the girl, the babysitter has got a plane ticket. He holds the plane ticket. They put the yes. black box over yeah. it. Is that because they I, couldn't get paid by the airline and they didn't have computers to blank uh, it out? I, I can help with this. Yes. Yes, they absolutely. It was absolutely. They American Airlines would not give give clearance to 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 show their logo, and I think it was one of those things where Scorsese said, "Well, it kind of looks like a documentary anyhow, so this adds to that," and and just sort of shrugged and said, "It's not how I would was planning to do it, but let's make uh, lemons out of lemonade out of lemons." Here. It's, like a, it's a good thing to show your children and say, "See, the days before CGI, this is what they had to do. If they found themselves in a situation where they had that footage and they couldn't get clearance from American Airlines, the black box was the only option. That's all we could do. <laughs> no. You'll have to also explain what physical plane tickets were. Yeah, yeah. exactly." Right. right, and it's you could steal them like and and sell them for money. And you could pack your baby like bag money. with cocaine, and no one would find it. <laughs> That's right. Just just put it on your put it on your pants and in your baby bag, and you'll be fine. I guess, I guess one of the things that I I would like to uh, throw out there, um, Goodfellas is one of my two favorite movies ever. Basically, my favorite movie depends on what mood I'm in. The other one is Miller's Crossing, which came <laughs> out which came out three days after Goodfellas. <laughs> wow. And it was a good year for you. And, and is also a gangster movie. And I, I look at that sometimes and think, I, I need to develop wider interests. Yeah, a gangster I, movie f- featuring yeah. headshot headshots, Phil. Well the Miller's Crossing is when he's feeling down and okay. this is the movie when you're <laughs> oh, feeling no, up. Mil- Oh no, Miller's Crossing is great. Miller's Crossing makes me feel very happy. Mm. No, that's the happy movie. Goodfellas is John oh, Polito in Miller's Crossing is giving the advice that 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 uh, they use on Joe Pesci in Goodfellas, which is yeah. you got to shoot him in the head. Yeah, that's the, always put one in the brain. You got to shoot him in the head. That's the look into your heart, John and, and, and in fact, at one point, I think I proposed to Jason. Uh, an old movie club that was going to be Goodfellas and Miller's Crossing. And Jason saw, first off, they were released in the 90s. Those aren't old movies. Oh, wait, they are. Oh, God, we're all going to die. Yep, our soon. Bones are, our bones yep. are dust. Uh-huh. <laughs> And uh, and and second, that's a lot of that's a lot of darkness for one podcast that's episode. But of, I, I do. I also movies. do like Miller's Crossing. It's a good movie. Yeah, uh-huh. it's a really good movie. I had two things. One, yep. I want to shout out young Henry. I think he's very good in this movie. Yes. He is. And, yep. and, and good there casting, is a, sh- a good look. His last shot, I, it is, it is so carefully shot and framed. It is the angle at which he looks the most like Ray Liotta. It's, mm. I, I, I found myself appreciating it this time. It's like, he doesn't always look like Ray Liotta, but sometimes he really does look like Ray Liotta. And that last shot of him is just enough to get you through to the other side to Ray Liotta. And the other thing is a great no line performance. The cop who tastes the cocaine. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Miles. Yes. Yep. Oh, yes. Well, 
while the horrible in real life Bo Deedle is is saying terrible things to to Henry Hill. Yes, that guy is great. Yeah, yeah, the nodding, right, smiling and nodding, and yeah, he mm-hmm. he picks taps his finger on it, taps it on his tongue, and then just you gonna bake a smile. cake. Oh, you know, what do we got there? Oh, goodbye, oh, well, dickhead. That's, a, that's <laughs> actually a nice little tidbit, too, because when Henry is over at Debbie Mazur's house, he 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 like looks at the bowl and the table, and he's like, this is a mess. You got to clean this up. There's cocaine everywhere. And like, again, I think it shows in our management tips for gangsters why Henry uh-huh. is not a great manager, mm-hmm. because not only is that a mess, of course, the babysitter, he explicitly tells her not to call. And obviously she doesn't respect his authority and management mm-hmm. style either, because no. she just literally hangs up and then picks the phone back up and calls when he says, you got to call from somewhere else. They've tapped the line. Helicopters mm-hmm. are following me. And she's like, I don't really want to go anywhere else. I'm just going to pick up the phone. And that, that comes back to bite him as does the lack of like using the dishwasher at Debbie Mazur's place to get That's why I got the, you the dishwasher. all the cocaine <laughs> off of everything that has cocaine then she, then on she it. she throws a bag of cocaine at the door as he leaves and it just poof. Poof, the big yeah, I know. Powder. It's, That's it's like evidence, the whole place baby. is coated with it. Evidence. Not, uh, another another not good, good casting choice is the, uh, and I think there's no lines as well, is the uh, terrifying shark-faced mob lawyer that smiles at the judge. The judge looks up to see Hen- the, the kid Henry next to his lawyer that, and they show the, the lawyer and the lawyer just smiles and the judge is like, ugh, mob yeah. lawyer. <laughs> yeah. If anyone ever like the the casting for that was I need someone who looks like a mob lawyer and it's like this is the guy mob lawyer yeah, he may Done. actually be a mob lawyer who knows I also have that CBS special hey if you want to learn more about this visit your local library um, Made Man the story of Goodfellas by uh, Glenn Kenny is a great book to read if you uh, really want to dive into almost a shot by shot analysis of this movie and Monty mentioned the um, the point shaving scandal, which is not covered at all in the movie. ESPN did a documentary on it a few years back, and it's uh, floating around out there, and it's really good to watch. I was going to mention my my one kind of like six degrees away from Goodfellas is my journalism school professor, Vince Cosgrove, who worked at the New York Daily News, um, who passed away a couple of years ago. Um, Vince knew Nick Pelleggi and Nick Pelleggi ha- said basically I got I got another one of these guys and I'm not I already wrote this Henry Hill book I'm not going to write another one but maybe you could write a book with this guy and it 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 led to a book called Tin for Sale the subtitle is A Crooked Cop's Journey from the NYPD to the Mob uh and I always thought like how did Nick Pelleggi know all these guys? But this was obviously like a spinoff where it was like, oh, I didn't even get to the dirty cops part. <laughs> and then he gave, he gave my professor Vince, he gave Vince that story. He was like, yeah, write that. Write that Jason, story. it's covered in the Glenn Kenny book. Is about, it? Yeah, that basically Nick Pelleggi was a crime reporter at one point. Yeah, and, uh, he knew all these and, guys. And was, he, wrote, uh, he wrote the book that, that Casino was based on too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and apparently he he didn't want to. He my guess is that he didn't want to deal with this cop, this dirty cop. He was like, "Look, life's too short for me to deal well, with all there's these." Plenty guys. of dirty cops in Goodfellas too. I think every cop you see is just taking money from the mob. And, and except so, except for the one guy who who pinches Henry, and Henry's like, "Oh, it's okay, it's okay." And it's like somehow he got the one good cop to pick him yeah, up. Yeah, well, you know, bad luck. It happens sometimes. Anyway, I, I just find it funny that that was the one where Nick Pelleggi is like, "I don't want to write this book." Vince, you want to write a book? I know you. You work at the Daily News. You know, you know these guys. 
guys. Like you write, you write the book about the dirty cop. And Vince is like, all right, I'll, I'm not, not Nick Pelleggi, but you give me a story. I'll write about it. And so we did. Uh, I just always thought that was really funny. Like Nick Pelleggi's like, eh, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to write about this guy. Cause it's you like, know, uh, what's his, what's his name from the wire? Like how, how did he know all the things that he knew Sign- to write the wire? Oh yeah, sure. David Simon, Cause reporter. he worked at the Baltimore sun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it was fun to revisit this movie and also to talk about it. It is legitimately a great movie. If you are still listening to this and not seen this movie, I mean, first off, what are you doing? And second, go see this movie. Um, everything you've heard about how great it is on this podcast and also in the world up to now from 1990 to now is true. It's and nothing, nothing about it, probably even including the black box ages badly or anything. Good movie making is good movie making forever. No, there the is style. nothing in this that will, that will take you out of it because the, it's, you know, the style and the voice and the technique and like, it is so good and it is not fussy and old school. That's sort of what I was saying too, about the Martin Scorsese and you think, oh, well, you know, it's like homework. He's a cl- classic filmmaker and it's going to make me listen to opera and all of those things. It's like, no, no. He, I know he's an old man now, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but, but you know, at, at one point he was doing things that nobody else. He was do. a wild and maybe angry, maybe just a little dyspeptic, but young man. And like, it, and then by 1990, when he was like, okay, I'm going to make this gangster movie, it, and it's just spectacular and and funny and weird and violent, but in a way that does not romanticize the violence, which is, I again, I want to say, I feel like is one of the reasons that I love it so much is that when the violence happens, you could watch this movie, I guess, if you're a person who watches the violence happen and think, oh, it's that's so cool. But like the movie's not on your side if you think it, it, that. It, it wants to jar you out of that feeling and it will do everything that it can to make the violence upsetting and uh, and visceral in ways like it, it's so I, it's, it boggles my mind that anybody can watch this and be cheering it on because it just it always even if it's just the squelching sounds when Tommy's shoving the knife into Billy Bat, like it does not want you to be feeling good about this ever. But I do laugh when you say the squelching noises, you know, like (laughs) I do enjoy it. Well, there is is the comic aspect of, I mean, even like when, when he shoots spider, this terrifying scene, Joe Pesci is still funny and charming. He's what, you think this is the first hole I ever dug? I'll dig the hole, whatever. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) And when Tom, when he's Tommy says, I'm a good shot. What? (laughs) I love that line. (laughs) That's the worst part of this movie is that it it will make you laugh at these, the worst moments. That is actually a brilliant scene because it's the, it's like Tommy never wants to lose face. He is just obsessed with not being embarrassed and not losing face. And you just, you just killed a guy because <laughs> he said something to you and you just killed him. And now it's a problem and we're going to have to, and, and Robert De Niro's response of course is, is basically like, oh, I'm not digging the hole. You're, you're digging the hole. <laughs> and, and yet, and so he, but he wants to paper it over. So he's got his quick, you know, he's got his quick he's, quips. Oh. Wow, it's, wow. It's a good uh, shot, whatever. right? Because he he just wants to move it on and not be judged for this. The fact that he just murdered this kid. Wow. All right. Uh, let me thank my guests for being here. This was excellent. Uh, Monty Ashley, thank you. Medium rare. Hmm. An aristocrat. <laughs> John Syracuse, thank you. Never rat on your friends. Always keep your mouth shut. And Philip Michaels, thank you. You know, it's good and all, but it's no Dances with Wolves. Ending on a good note. All right, well now and and as for me, I'm your host. I'm just an average nobody, a schnook. 
Uh, it's me, Jason Snell, and I thank you for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next time.